Hi guys. What is up my people? I'm so excited for this week and Me to talk to too. you and we had such a good day today. The best. The best. The best. I'm so sore. Yeah, we're getting kind of old. <laughs> <laughs> we played tennis for like two hours. Yep, we burned like 900 calories. We did. We rode our bikes over there and had a date night. It was so fun. Hold on, what did we do? We rode our bikes. We rode our bikes. Yeah, we both got bikes. We got new bikes. Pretty I, cool. Yeah, I really like them. His has like a green accent. Mine has like a teal accent and it's just so us. And we got tennis rackets at a garage sale. For $5. For five bucks. So we're like, let's freaking play tennis. And we're really good. We're pretty good. I was pleasantly We, we kept surprised. it in the lines. We hit it straight. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, we like rallied the ball a lot. It was really fun. It was such a good time. Yep. It was a blast. What are you drinking, babe? I am drinking beer. No, One week not. off of the juice. Oh, yeah. Last uh, last podcast episode, we challenged each other to have a sober week, which we did. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I had a drink on Monday because it was mom's night in. Um, but Eric totally did it, and so it's a week later, and he's having, you had some beer while we were playing tennis, and... After we played tennis, and then we went back and played tennis, and I just drank. It was so fun. We seriously just biked all around the city. We started at Safeway and got food. We had a picnic. We got, like, turkey and fruit and fun stuff to eat. And then we biked to the big park that has, uh, like, some tennis courts, and we played tennis. And then we uh, biked to our favorite brewery, and then we biked back to play more tennis, tipsy. And then we biked to Walmart to get some stuff for tomorrow's backyard cleaning day. We did a little bit of everything. It was really nice. It was so fun and so freeing, and it was just so nice to have someone with a baby who we trust, and... To not have to put her to sleep for once yeah. and to not have to deal with her crazy fussy time from like five to six. And I just told Eric when we got home, like I felt like myself. Yeah. Grandma took Livy, hung out and played games and had a blast. It was awesome. It was one of those situations where everybody wins. Yeah. Livy loves hanging out with grandma. Grandma loves hanging out with Livy. We got a break and got to go do our thing, and it was just, it was nice. It was refreshing. I fully agree. We're going to record this podcast. It's like 9 o'clock, and then we're going to play Mario. Best date night ever. Best date night ever. So, what are you drinking, you going to say? A truly hard seltzer. <laughs> got to hydrate. Yep. After all those calories we burned. Yep. And all the IPAs <laughs> I drank. Um, so, for your high of the week... Would you say it was our date night tonight? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I feel so we, we, we just had a high week, though. We really did. Easter was fun. We saw family like two days in a row. We saw family all weekend. We saw them on Saturday. We it saw them on Sunday. so awesome. Both sides each day. Like, it was just boom. It was crazy. It was such a great week. Such a great week. I feel good, too. Today, I, I think today would be my high for sure. I felt like myself. It was so nice to just be alone with you. And I told you what was so cool is we actually got to work out together. We haven't. We used to love doing that. It was one of our favorite things. And we haven't been able to do that since Olivia was born. Yeah. It was just a fun, active, outdoor, 
bike riding. It's like you're exercising, but you're having fun, so you don't realize you're exercising. Yeah. And like I told Eric, you can go so much further on a bike than you can if you're walking or running. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have been able to adventure so much tonight if we were just, like, walking around. We rode for 25 miles. No, you're lying. (laughs) It was, like, four. (laughs) Nobody would know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Do you have any, uh, any hard moments, any lows from this past week? Uh, I spent a lot of money the last two days. Really? Mm-hmm. Got about eight hundo on the credit card. Oh shit! Really? Yep. Bought a baby mattress. Oh yeah. And renewed my beer membership. <laughs> Important things in life. The important things in life. <laughs> Baby's gonna sleep good, and daddy's gonna sleep good. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I don't know if I have a low. I wow. got two, Say that again. I don't know if I have a low. I got two job offers this past week. Wow. This has really been just the highest week ever. It's been pretty awesome. I got two awesome job offers. Uh one at our one at the county, one at the state, which are both such great opportunities and it was just so awesome to feel wanted and one of the jobs I applied for back in January, and it's been such a long process. It's been months and months of interviewing and tests and just different hoops that I had to jump through. So, And just waiting and not knowing what the answer is going to be. Like, it's been... Yeah. So, I'm just out. so grateful. I feel so blessed. And everybody, now we're going to have the same job, babe. Everybody wants mama. We're going to have the same employer. Isn't yeah, that buddy. so crazy? Me, and Eric, me and Eric get to work together. Yep. In real life. Yep. Different offices, but... Still. Yeah. We can go to the same picnic. Yeah! Cute! We're so cute. Okay. Um, so, guys, I... Okay, honestly, we were gonna record this podcast last... This pod... Podcast? Why did it... Podcast? <laughs> that sounded really weird He's coming out of my mouth. We were going to record this podcast last night, and I could not do it. I, like, could not bring myself. I don't know. I just, as we were preparing for the podcast, we kind of had to write down the timeline of everything that happened when we were kicked out of church, and it was a really traumatic thing, and writing it down, kind of reliving it, I just was struggling. I wasn't ready to talk about it yesterday. It's, yeah, it's a tough topic. It's it's hard to swallow, and it was... We don't right talk at the beginning about of our marriage. a lot anymore. We no, kind I, of... I've, I've totally moved we past We just it. kind of ignore it. I haven't. It's not something that I think about every day mm-hmm. or something that I'm like holding this grudge that I think about all the time. But when I think about them or when I think about this event, I mm. am very triggered. Um, and so instead of recording the podcast last night, we processed a little bit I journaled a little bit some some tough feelings that I'm still feeling even now and that just kind of helps six years later to clear the way uh so that we could talk about this in a factual healthy manner yeah so um I guess so let's start this off we were kicked out of church we were straight up exiled from church and babe just remember, we've already talked about this. We got to be real careful about not giving any personal details about who it was and where it was because we are integrous people and we're going to share our story without uh, putting anybody on blast directly. But if you guess it, I'd be very impressed. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yep. we were kicked out of church. Uh, what happened was we were engaged to one another. We were attending a church, and we had some friends who were on the pastoral team at this church. They were worship leaders, and they spoke sometimes. We hang out every once in a while. Like we all have kind of a good relationship. We knew them. So they told us one day, hey, we're actually going to, we're leaving and we're going to start our own church, which should have been my first signal of you're leaving because you're pissed at the pastor and want to do your own thing. That's probably not going to be a great foundation, but okay. We, at the time, I think, were also eager to have a role in something like that. Totally. I, like, start I, it from the ground up. We had expressed it even before they left. So, when they left, it was literally like, oh, these are the first people we're going to call because they've expressed wanting to start something and wanting to have a role, too. We we just wanted something that was more personal, a smaller atmosphere with people that you know, and we wanted to help them kind of start start the church and be a part of that. So, we left with them. And uh, we started this church with them. Um, At the time when it first started out, it was in a barn on some random property. Things were good. Um, It was a small core team of people. We did some awesome events. We were immediately in leadership positions. Um, They knew that we were interested in helping and just wanted to be a part however we could. Uh, We were engaged and didn't have a ton of obligations in our life, and we were really involved with church at the time, so we just kind of jumped right in. We helped with guest relations. Um, We did a lot of different things. I Mm -hmm. did the video announcements. We helped with setup every day. Uh, We helped with, like, big events. It was pretty cool. Um... So we felt needed, we felt wanted, it felt like we belonged and that we had a voice. Yeah. We did some one-on-one uh couples hangouts with them too. It wasn't just like we're working for you and you're our pastors now. We were friends. We went to their houses, we drank together, we did Irish car bombs on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. I brought over dinner and made them cheesecake when they had a small baby. Um, and we're kind of new parents. Like there was just a lot of one-on-one time together. Uh, so I think that that's important to state that there was this relationship that we thought was established and that we thought was healthy, this friendship that, uh, didn't turn out to, (laughs) to carry us very far. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't as in-depth as we thought it was. So Eric and I are engaged through this. Our wedding's getting closer. We are living at Eric's parents' house at this at this point. Uh, but we told the church, the, the people, because they would ask about it. They knew that we were technically living together because we both lived at his parents' house. But mm-hmm. we told them that we were living in different rooms, um, which wasn't true. But we just didn't want to deal with the judgment. And we knew that it would create an issue. Um, and honestly, it wasn't any of their business. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that the church needs to take their nose out of other people's sexuality, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) So we had probably been at the church for about four months at this point. Three or four months. And we um, had known these people for years prior. We'd been at this church for about four months. 
and um, things are going really well. We had a great Easter service, I remember. They had some good guest speakers and some fun events. I think there was like a Christmas thing that we did. Yep. I started doing video announcements. They you said, were like the face of the franchise for a little bit. You, you were franchise. When you would go into church and it would be that, you know, five or ten minute video right at the beginning, it was Julia. It was her face. It was She was doing the announcement. She was leading everything. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, on Sunday morning, there I was. And I was a natural. I was really good at it. Um, just like how we're pretty good at this podcast and we're good at communicating and um, expressing emotions I, it was the same way with that. I love to do it. I love to be on and to help them out. And it was just really fun. It was a new thing that I had never done before. So um, at this point, we were looking for places to live because our wedding was coming up. We weren't going to stay living at Eric's parents' house. So we found an apartment in Folsom. We were super excited about it. And it was our first apartment that, to this day, such good memories. Love it. Our first little place. First little home. And we were 24 and 25 years old. Like... We were very excited about this opportunity, and we were openly talking about, like, we can't wait to get our new fir- our first place. Like, yeah. this is so cool, blah, blah, blah. Like, totally. we didn't try to hide it's anything. It's exciting. We never... Did you ever live with, like, a girlfriend or something? No. I hadn't either. I never lived with, like, a boyfriend or anything. So it was just super exciting to have a place of our own. I remember the first night we moved in... Um, I think we had like Taco Bell on the couch. Yeah, Angry Orchards. And there's just boxes all around us, but I'd like never been happier. It was just like the start of our life together. It was so sweet. So um, we get our first apartment and we move in in April and our wedding was in July. So this is about four months before our wedding um, in the springtime. And we didn't hide anything. We were really open about getting our first place together and being excited. I put it on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So this is where things got a little weird. They, they were they were not happy about this situation. So we're we're moved in. It's early May, right around your birthday. Maybe you're late May. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We've been in there for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was notified that we should meet and get coffee. One of the pastors reached out and was like, hey, we should, you know, let's hang out and get coffee, blah, blah, blah. One of the pastors who wasn't our friend. Yeah, who we weren't really close with. We were friends with the the head pastor and the associate pastor. This was some random other pastor who they kind of brought on later, and we didn't know him really. We'd never talked to him or hung out with him. Mm -hmm. So this dude is the one that texts Eric and says, we should hang out and go get coffee. So I was pretty excited because we were a part of this church. We were what felt like, it's bad to say, but the in crowd. So I brought one of my friends because I was like, it'd be cool for you to meet the pastor. I know you want to get involved too. And I thought it would be a cool opportunity. So not knowing that I was supposed to get a lashing, I brought my friend and we sat down and had coffee and just kind of talked about God for better part of an hour or so. And then we all just kind of went our separate ways. And that was kind of it at that point. Yeah. So apparently that was when they had told this pastor, once again, who we didn't know, our friends told this pastor to talk to... We know him a little bit, but it wasn't like we were close. To talk to Eric and to tell him that we need to move out, that we can't live together and to drop the hammer. But he didn't because Eric's friend came. Yeah, so he kind of... Apparently I ruined the moment by inviting my friend, but... The whole goal of the thing was to tell me that either I need to move home or she needs to move home or we both need to move home. And 
I don't know how many of you guys have lived in apartments, but you have to put like a thousand dollars down just to get into the place. And then you have to get in, you have to pay first and last month rent. Like we put a decent amount of money into this. So it's not like I'm just thinking, oh, hey, you're right. And I, all I our stuff move is moved in together. Why would I then move out my boxes again to my parents, which at the time wasn't a great place for me to live or back to Eric's parents by myself? And at this For point, two months? it was probably six weeks before the wedding, maybe a month. Like, we were coming up on the wedding pretty quick. So, they stopped scheduling me to do video announcements, but there was no talk about it. I just stopped getting calls. It was really weird. They kind of ghosted me. So, she had gone probably eight weeks straight where she was doing the announcements every week. Her face was the one front and center being seen. And then it was about three weeks where she never got a call or nothing. And then somebody else was doing the announcements and we were never told. Yeah, it was really awkward. Um, So things just feel a little bit weird. We're still kind of helping in guest relations, but we can just tell that something's off. Our friends aren't texting us anymore. They're not calling. They're not wanting to hang out. They're just totally ghosting us. Um, So I guess you can kind of talk about this, babe, because... They talked to you before they talked to me. Yeah, so a couple weeks kind of passed after that whole coffee thing happened. And then I got a call, probably like 1 o'clock right after lunch. I was getting ready to go do a field review at work. And I'm sitting in the work car, and my phone rings, and it's one of the pastors. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? How's it going? He's like, hey, you know, I just I kind of want to talk to you about a few things. Do you have some time? And I was like, sure, what's up? What's going on? And... Basically started to say how we're living in sin and how we are us living together and having an apartment of our own, even if it's a month before we get married, is a really bad look for the church. And they never asked, are you having sex? Are you sleeping together? Are you doing any of this stuff? It was literally just all assumed that that, that's what was happening. And it was just because it looked bad. And it was just how it made the church look. The fact that we moved in, we'd been engaged for a year. The fact that we moved in a month before we got married, two months before we got married, was such a bad look that either we had to move out, I had to move home, she had to move home. Something had to happen in order for us to continue to be a part of the leadership team, essentially, yeah. in that church. Um, so, essentially, what they said is that Julia will no longer be doing announcements, that she was being forced down or had to step down or whatever from the announcements. Um as long as we live together, but they still wanted me to help do the guest relations. So that was just fucked up in my mind. Like you can't say, Oh, she's the woman. She's going to have to step down. The guy gets grace, but but we still need your help. We're very clear that I was the temptress and that I was leading Eric into sin. It was very like an Adam and Eve situation where I was making him stumble. And they even compared you to the woman at the well, right? Oh, we're going to get into that. So, at this point, they say that we really need to get marriage counseling right away because we are, our souls are in danger. And we still, we should have walked away. We shouldn't have even gone, but we want to make things right. We don't want to lose our friends. We don't want to lose our community. Our whole church is here at this point, and we're on the leadership. We're friends with the other leaders. Like, we have a community, and we don't want to lose that. And so, we say, sure, fine, like, can you, you know, we're probably not going to move out, but if you want us to get marriage counseling, whatever, like, please do, we're fine with that, we're open to it, 
Um, and they said, you know, we don't have time, but that pastor, the one who was supposed to sit down, Eric, originally and, and talk to him, the one who we weren't really close with, they're like, uh, he could do it. And so we're kind of like, okay, whatever, that's fine. We're totally open to that. We're open to growing. We're open to your input. We want to do this right, even if there's only a few weeks left till the wedding. Um, so it they does... basically just pushed us aside. Like, we It didn't we asked really for help. work. They kind of said, like, you're not worth our time. The pastor ended up never showing up to our appointments. He totally bailed on us and ghosted us and said that we weren't really worth counseling because we'd already messed up. And they also said, like, you should have been doing this over the last year. Like, almost saying, like, it's too little, too late. Yeah. And I had actively... I know about marriage counseling. I had actively chosen to not pursue marriage counseling because... Of a lot of personal reasons. I didn't think that we needed it. We were very close with each other, very close with God. We had mentors in our life. We had Christian family. We had already talked to God about everything in our marriage. We talked to each other very openly about how we feel about kids, how we feel about disagreements. Like, we had a really mature, really healthy relationship, and I didn't want to go to marriage counseling just so I could check a box and say I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, what's really frustrating is no one had talked to me still. I was just this woman who was causing him to stumble, but they couldn't talk to me because I was sinful and it would, um, there's a big thing in the, in the evangelical church of avoiding the appearance of evil. And a lot of the time that means that a man isn't allowed, a man in the church isn't allowed to be friends with a woman in the church isn't allowed to ride in a car with her, isn't allowed to talk to her, isn't allowed to call or text her because it's the appearance of evil, which is such bullshit and it's so weird. Yeah, but, it's like this, we'll talk to the man in the relationship and yeah. then he'll make the decisions. So they kept going above me and they went to Eric to make all the decisions, which was getting really frustrating. Um, even the thing about me stepping down from video announcements and how they didn't want me to be seen anymore. I couldn't be the public face of the church because I was in sin, is what they said. Um, Eric told me that because they had told him that on a phone call. I didn't hear any of this myself, which was really frustrating. So finally one day, I talked to the head pastor. I remember I was in a parking lot, and um, I was going to the gym, and he called me. And... It was just a very um, eye-opening phone call that was also, like, really hurtful. He said a lot of really harsh things. Um, He compared... He brought up the story of the woman at the well in the Bible and was telling me why I was um, a prostitute and that this woman with multiple partners needed to encounter Jesus, and so do I. And it was... I mean, I'm st- it still kind of makes me speechless. I don't know. What do you say to that? That's insane. Yeah. Um, so lots of that rhetoric, Christian stories, misusing Bible verses, lots of shame, lots of awkward conversation. So I hang up. I cry. I remember I went to get sushi. I get really mad. I call my mom. She's completely just bewildered and like he did what he said what to you and I still remember walking through the parking lot to pick up my sushi and just being so beside myself and just like couldn't believe that that had just happened and that they were saying all the things that they did 
Another thing that he said to me and made very clear was that our marriage was doomed and that it was going to fail because we were starting it in sin um, and that God couldn't bless that. So we were hopeless and he just, he literally just said our marriage is going to fail. You ruined it for yourself. You're in sin and God isn't going to look upon you with favor. And I was like, I'm getting married in six weeks. Who are you? I know God is for me. I know God loves me. I know he brought us together for such a beautiful reason. Mm-hmm. Even the our wedding date, the date of our wedding, when you look it up in the, the old Hebrew text, means to join together like a ship. It said for Jesus to join together two boards like a ship in holy matrimony or marriage. Like the date of our wedding in Hebrew means like to join together forever. So... There was just all these little signs. I knew Eric was my person. I knew that I knew that God was okay with us living together, honestly. Um I'm not a I don't subscribe to the traditional Christian rules because I think that rules are kind of bullshit and I don't think that it's a church's job to police my sexuality. I don't think it's a church's job to police where I live and where I sleep at night. I don't think it's a church's job to police where I spend my money and and who gets my rent money. It's not your business. And that's one of the reasons right now why we kind of have left the traditional church because there's a lot of control, a lot of manipulation, and a lot of white dudes trying to control women and shame their sexuality. And, like, the thing that bugs me is you have all these church leaders that try to say, do this, do this, do this, and it's like, none of them do it. I've known so many leaders in the church that weren't virgins when they got married. He was that, very that, open about how he didn't wait, but you shouldn't make the same mistake. Yeah, and he's just coming down on us. And not just this specific church, but other churches I've been to, too. There's so many people in leadership. Like, you know, I led my life this way, and, you know, I slept with multiple women, and I did this, and I did this. But now I'm not there anymore, and I've grown past this, so you shouldn't do it either. And it's like... You know, I'm doing the fucking best I can. I'm going to well, make mistakes just like you did here's too. Here's the thing. Like, I'm not going to... No, but that's the thing. It's not a mistake. I would never call you a mistake. Yeah, true. Purity culture says that your sexuality needs to be policed by God and you're dirty and disgusting until one day someone puts a ring on your finger and then you're supposed to enjoy sexuality freely and be a sex... Like a sex god when you were just went through years and years of shaming, like that doesn't, it doesn't work like flip that. It's a not a, one day. it doesn't just like, you don't <clears> flip <throat> a switch. And so, um, at this point they had all RSVP'd to our wedding, them and their spouses. And there was a whole table where they were going to be sitting. Um, and at this point they told us, you can't really come to the church. We don't really want you to be seen. You can come back and be in your positions after you're married. Once you get married, you can do the announcements again. And you can be the face of the church. And you can talk every week, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, for this one month before you get married, you can't do any of that. And we went to maybe one or two services after all this kind of happened. Being like, maybe we'll just make it work. I don't really know what to do. We were kind of shell-shocked. But I remember being really uncomfortable because what should have been our business um, became everyone's business. And I remember one of like the church gossips coming up to me, one of these, the, the woman who just was always talking about other people's business coming up to me on a Sunday after all this happened and being like, how are you? Oh, it's so hard, huh? Are you okay? And I was like, 
First of all, fuck off. Second of all, you shouldn't know about anything going on. Neither should the person next to you. Or the, it's, it, All of a sudden, it just kind of spread like wildfire and everyone looked at us weird. They kind of stopped calling us. It was just really fucked up. We got excommunicated from this community, which was really hurtful. For one month. For, for one month. We can come back after that. So ridiculous. So Eric texts them the day before our wedding asking... We're making final details on where everybody's sitting and trying to figure everything out, which we had about 130 guests. So that's a lot of people to figure out who's going to sit where and who's going to sit with who. So they're taking a table of four. And Eric texts them and said, are you guys still coming or like what's going on with that? They RSVP'd, yes. Before all this happened. And they text back and say that they can't come. I got a text that said, hey man, um, yeah, we forgot that we planned a vacation this week, so we're not going to make it. The day before. And they wouldn't have texted you. You had to ask them. I had to ask. It turns out they didn't even go on a vacation. I think that they were just... Some bullshit excuse. Yeah, it was just the ultimate rejection. The ultimate betrayal. Um... Just really shitty people. Like, you've known about this for a month. You couldn't have told me three weeks before, two weeks before. Hey, sorry, yep. I just don't feel comfortable. Like, whatever. But the fact that I had to ask. Yeah. So, we get married. We pretend like everything's awesome. But we feel like shit a little bit. Um, there was a lot of shame after we got married. Because, I mean, we were literally just kicked out of our church for being, like, sexual deviants, apparently. And that's hard to get past. It's really hard to be like, oh, hey, 24 hours ago, I was the whore at the well. But today, I'm allowed to be this, like, beautiful, virginal, sexual bride. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Sexual shame is insidious, and it eats you alive from the inside out. Um, And what's so funny, too, is that the sexual shame wasn't put on by me. I actually talked to God about our sex life when we were engaged and felt very comfortable with where I was at because it's only between us. It's only between us and God. He made it very clear to me that this is my husband. He's going to be your husband. And if you want to be husband and like do husband and wife things now, that's okay. But you can't pick and choose what you want. You can't just pick and choose that you want to act like husband and wife in the bedroom. But then when uh, you're, you know, buying something or doing something, not think of him or not consult him. Marriage is marriage. It's a partnership. So if you're wanting to get into that part of your partnership now before you get married and you're engaged, that's fine. But you have to be actual partners in every aspect. You don't just get to be sexual. Does that make sense? Yeah, and we were like we we, we yeah were we got our line married in like six months like we were so just we figured in love out with each our other and, got our bank accounts together mm-hmm. we cared about each other's families we had great communication we loved each other we did date nights and I on it like say what you will but me and God were cool with it and that's really all that mattered to me so it's just interesting that the shame that I felt <laughs> wasn't a shame that God put on me and we. Like, don't get us wrong, we've prayed a ton about it, and there was a lot of back and forth. We, we, when we first started, if we'd hook up, we'd literally have a conversation like, hey, we shouldn't do this, let's stop, and then we'd stop for three weeks, and then, you know, urges would give back in or whatever, and so we literally had a conversation, we talked about it, we sat there, and we prayed about it, like, we really felt like we were 
And what's interesting is I actually did feel kind of bad about it when we were dating. I didn't feel like it was right. I did feel kind of like we were jumping the gun a little bit and I did have a little bit of shame, but God is awesome and gracious. He walked us through that too. He doesn't just leave you on the side of the road like these bitches did. He walks with you. He helps you. He counsels you. He forgives you. He gives you strength. He gives you wisdom. Like it was a day by day thing as we were dating. And, but when we got engaged, things kind of changed. And that's when I kind of felt like this is going to happen. It's, it's it's going to happen. In the Old Testament, um, an engagement actually meant marriage. Um, if you look up the word engaged to be married, it meant that they were married legally. Um, if you broke an engagement in the Old Testament, it was actually a divorce. So I think a lot of it is cultural norms and... The Americanized Bible. I just... I don't know. I don't think I need to explain it anymore, but I felt fine. I felt like God loved me regardless. And it was really annoying that these people who don't belong in my bedroom all of a sudden had so much input into my bedroom. Yeah. And it, it lasted for a while. The the pressure and the words that they spoke over us one month before getting married. It took stuck. a really long time to undo, probably two or three years. So the the one thing I wanted to share about uh, just kind of a little bit of a happy ending, I guess, for this terrible story is when I was meditating one day, we'd been married at this point a couple months and I was at our apartment and I was doing a meditation and I just felt really stuck because of everything that had happened. And so in this meditation, I saw, I see like, I've like visually see things a lot with God So as I'm just sitting there and breathing, I see um, the picture. There's a story in the Bible of a woman who was caught in adultery, and she was dragged out into the middle of the town square, and the men said, let's stone her. She was caught in sin. It says in the Old Testament to stone them. Let's do it. Jesus, what do you think? And Jesus said, if you're without sin, you can throw a rock, and everyone dropped their rocks and and walked away. Um, So what's interesting is in this vision, I saw myself being dragged by the hair It was like a really very visceral, real imagery, I guess. Um, I saw myself being dragged by the hair by these pastors into the middle of this town square. And Jesus was there and they're all standing around me, them and their wives and everyone else in the church. And they're like, we caught her. Let's stone her. She's a sinner. She's disgusting. Look at her. And just speaking all this death over me, all the things that they'd said to me in this process of time. And I saw Jesus and he got between me and my accusers and he stood between me and he said, you're going to have to come through me first. If you want to stone her, you have to stone me. And I thought it was, I mean, obviously emotional, but um, in that moment, I just had a revelation that I've kept with me to this day that God always stands between us and our accusers. God never stands with the, with the accusers ever. Whether you're being accused because you're living together or you're gay or whatever is going on, when you're dragged into that town square with your sin being exposed, God never stands with them and says, yeah, totally, let's stone them, great idea. He always stands with you and he always stands against the accuser, um, regardless of what you did or didn't do. So that was really powerful and from that moment on I just realized that Jesus is with me and he's for me and he's always been with me and for me, regardless of people and their own issues and their own brokenness and their terrible leadership. That doesn't change that God is with me and that he's for me and he's always going to stand between me and my accusers. And 
it led to a very interesting season. We left the church because we were kicked out and I didn't really have an urge to go back to a church for a while. So the first maybe year or two of our marriage, we didn't have an official church. We bounced around a lot. But it was amazing. It was actually one of my most spiritually healthy times. All of a sudden, I realized, because I'd spent my whole life trying to be the perfect church girl, I went to ministry school, I had ministry jobs, I was a youth leader, I've done the whole thing. And I always wanted to be the perfect Christian girl and to be praised for my awesomeness. And all of a sudden, when you fall from grace and you fall hard, I realized that I never really needed any of that. Um, And my relationship with God was so strong and we were so close and he did so much in my life and so much deep healing and in lots of different areas. And I just loved my little time with God in the desert where it was just me and him and it was really sweet and I always felt him so close and I'm so glad that I had the chance to detox from church. I'm so glad I had the opportunity to detox from religion and most of all I'm so happy that in that time I realized that you don't have to encounter God in a church. I used to always think that church was where you found God and I finally realized that God was with me and that I didn't have to go to a church to find him and that was really powerful. Yeah that's that's amazing your your story and your dream of everything and Jesus coming to you and stepping in between is just it hurts me so much because it literally says God is love yeah that's one of the main things in the bible that is it God is love if you don't know anything else God is love and the thing that frustrated me about everything that we went through is none of it was done in love it was done from an accusatory point of view of we're going to come down on them it was like even when we asked okay fine sure we hear you help us out now nah, you know we're we're pretty busy I don't, we don't have time for that you guys should have been doing this and it's like okay so where's the love in that there is no love in that yeah and totally. that that's my biggest thing with big churches is i've gone to them all my life too but the love gets lost it's yeah. all about you have to do all of these little things you have to fit into our church bubble yeah and if you don't fit into our little bubble then hey you know maybe you should go somewhere else or you know just just attend you can't really be in our our little group and it's just not done in love and it's so frustrating because jesus wouldn't do any of that yeah jesus would hang out with the dude who's cracked out of his mind in the freaking ditch and be like hey bro hope you're having a good day like i'm here with you i'm, hope I'm, you're having I'm, a good day. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking through this with you i'm here and i love you he, he's not gonna judge you because you're cracked out of your mind you can sleep with every guy in the fucking world and God's not going to sit there and be like, you know, you're kind of a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He's going to sit there and say, I still fucking love you. You can sleep with every guy in the world. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but no, just it just kills me because God is love. God, God hang out, hung out. Jesus hung out with the people who were struggling. Yeah. Jesus hung out with the people who were not perfect. Yeah. And that's how I want to live my life. I don't want to be on this internal church pedestal where everything is where all your best friends look like you and wear skinny Mm -hmm. jeans and are just as douchey as you i've said this since the day you and i got married i want to be the guy who goes to a bar and gets shit-faced drunk has tattoos rides a harley but you know what when me and you were just talking about everyday life i'm gonna talk about god too because god's a part of my everyday life and what's so crazy is you've evangelized even more people than i ever have doing that there have been so many friends that you've talked to God about that you've led to God mm-hmm. at a bar. 
yep. on the weekend just through texting. Eric is such a real guy, and I love that. It's just real life, and that's what Jesus would do. Um, so basically, moral of the story is that purity culture sucks. I want to do a whole nother podcast on that topic. I've been really diving into purity culture and the problem with the modern evangelical church. Um, I have not left God. I've not left Jesus, but I have left the traditionalized church because I think that it's toxic in many ways. Um, right now I'm actually reading a book on, uh, detoxing from religious trauma and sexual shame. Um, this, I, I follow a lot of Instagram accounts that are awesome teachers, uh, on this subject way better than I am. One of them is called God is gray. She's amazing. One of them is called Do Better Church. They are also awesome. I thought it was really interesting this week as we were preparing for this podcast and to talk about how purity culture burned us. Um, I was on Do Better Church, their Instagram, and they are so awesome. They reveal things that have been going on in the church anonymously. And um, it's like it says, it's a call for the church to do better. And they had in their stories a lot of uh, information regarding Hillsong Church. Um, they just did a couple posts about it if you want to go read through it, but about how Hillsong's uh, purity culture is so toxic. And it was basically interviews from previous students um, who have been burned or things that they said about the church. And I just found it very interesting. Um, they were saying things like if you were a student at their school of ministry and you admitted to having sex or masturbating in the past six months that you were blacklisted from volunteering or ever working with kids or even being in the same building as a child because they were worried that you were going to be a sexual predator. Um, there was no grace, Grace. there's no redemption, there was no, it was just shame. Um and talked about how they kept very um, close files on people with, with notes that were very secretive. And um, one person's message says, it was utterly embarrassing to read your file. So this person was um, saying, make sure you ask for your file before you leave the church. It's really interesting to see what they have to say about you. And they said, it's utterly embarrassing to actually read your file and think, wow, I spent thousands of dollars, years of my life, dedicated in a different country on the opposite side of the world to this church. And this is how these people perceived me and why they treated me like they did when I had no clue. And it's this, and it just reminded me so much of what we went through, this culture of elitism, of saying, I'm a leader and I'm above you and I'm going to judge you for anything that I deem sexually immoral or impure or bad and I'm going to make all these notes on you and I'm going to share it with all my friends and we're not going to tell you directly. We're not going to actually like be good or honest. We're just going to judge the shit out of you and we're going to blacklist you and we're going to make you feel really bad about yourself. We're still probably going to cheat on our wives and get drunk and text other women, but we're going to pretend like that doesn't happen on our level as pastors. And when it does, we're going to forgive it. That was another part of this whole thing is how they treated students versus how they've treated pastors who have fallen or been found in sin. And they say that God is, God is gracious and redemptive and they're allowed to, to try again, but yet they don't have that opinion for people below them. 
And it's just toxic. It's really just a culture of control. It's a culture of white supremacy. Um, it's a culture of shame. And it's a uh, really, really toxic, and I would say even traumatizing sexual uh, culture for people to grow up in. So it's a lot to like dig through purity culture, but I'm so glad that I'm out of it. I'm so glad that I am past it. And I'm so glad that there's accounts and people and groups that are dedicated to speaking out to uh, challenge the church to do better and to talk about all the ways that they were traumatized by toxic purity culture. Because when you shine a light on things and when more people come to the surface and saying, hey, that was my experience. Hey, that happened to me too. Hey, I was burned. There's a lot of healing that can happen. Some deep stuff. That's a lot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Cool. I don't know. I'm I'm just in my head thinking about all this, and at the end of it, like, it might sound like we're bashing on the church. We're not. We love the church. We love the church we go to. We. God loves you. Like no matter what you're going through, what you're struggling, with, where you're at. The moral of the story is that God loves you. You don't need a church to love you. God loves you at the end of the day. Yeah, it's true. Um, so we're in process. I'm sure that there will be some episodes about our process and, and leaving religion and what that looks like when you're still a Christian who loves God. Um, because they aren't synonymous. God and religion are two very different things. I remember uh, I posted something on Instagram about a month ago that said I'm leaving religion and um, organized religion religion. and people were very concerned for me and reached out multiple people from my work and my family and my friends who said like are you a christian and um are you are you still do you still believe in god and it was interesting to me because i'd never said anything about god or not believing or leaving my belief system but people didn't comprehend that leaving religion and leaving God are two different things. People yep. see religion as God. And that's something that I'm so grateful. This journey of being burned by the church was my invitation to see God and the church as two very different things that are very separate from one another. And you can leave one without leaving the other. You can decom- you can process through one. You can deconstruct one without leaving God. Um, so that's where I'm at. And you get so much growth from asking questions. Yeah. Like, God's not afraid of our why questions. Why wouldn't you ask these questions and get more clarity for yourself? Like, the growth there is so much better and so much deeper. And the relationship grows so much more than just being spoon-fed. God isn't afraid of our questions. We're allowed to least. doubt. We're allowed to challenge his church. We're allowed to challenge what we've been taught. Or even the word. The word of God. That's something that we'll get into later because this is going long, but it's just a very interesting place to be in right now. So thank you for listening to our story of how we were burned, but how it actually wasn't the worst thing ever. And I'm so grateful that it led me out of the trying to be the perfect Christian because that was exhausting. 100%. And a little message to Mr. Pastor Pants that uh, <laughs> we're doing fucking great. Yeah, our marriage didn't fail, douchebag. We're we still strong. We are killing it. Our communication's great. We just had a baby. We are happier than we've ever been. We love God. We love each other. We love our families. And you know what? You can just take that little phrase that you put in our life and shove it up your ass, bro. Because we're doing great.
you might not have been for us, but God very much is. Yeah, buddy. Love you, babe. I love you too, babe. Let's go have sex. Ew! Why do you have to <laughs> say these things? That would have been a great ending. And then... It's still a great ending. <laughs> well, to be completely honest, I would probably go have sex with you right now if I didn't want to play Mario so much. Alright, let's play Mario. I think tonight Mario's gonna trump. And I know you wanna play too. Let's play Mario and lick our wounds. I feel I thought you were gonna say something. I'm sore as fuck. Um, I'm so sore from tennis today and from biking like four miles. My mom bot is like, what did you just do? My back hurts, my legs hurt, my feet hurt. Um, so I'm gonna sit on the couch and uh play some Mario. Have a great night, guys. It was great to talk to you. Thank you for subscribing and listening. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. Leave a review. We would love that. And go check us out on Griffin Unfiltered Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, buddy. Have a good night. Bye.